Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. This lesson was previously recorded by Michelle in front of a live audience. Father God, I pray that today you would speak to our hearts and meet us really at the point of our need. I pray I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do, but that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Previously, we had been studying Paul's letter to the Galatian church, and over the next four weeks, we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Philippi was a city in Macedonia and a Roman colony of some importance. It was known for its patriotic support of the emperor because many Roman soldiers used to retire there. Paul had faced resistance to the gospel in that city when he preached that Jesus Christ was the true king of the world and not Caesar. And that piece of information is going to help us make sense of some of what Paul says in his letter to that church. Even after he'd moved on, Paul continued, though, to have a very close and caring relationship with this group of believers who faced ongoing resistance and persecution from the other people in that city. In the beginning, Paul had gone to Philippi with Silas and Timothy on his second missionary journey. And he'd gone in response to a vision he had received while praying for God's direction. He'd stayed in the city three months, and we learn about the founding of the church in Acts chapter 16. Many of you might be familiar with the stories of Lydia, who was the first convert there. But there was also the Philippian jailer who believed in Christ when Paul and Silas were his prisoners. At the time of writing this letter to them, Paul was in prison yet again, but this time in Rome. In those days, prisoners were not taken care of by the state. In fact, Rome would have quite happily allowed them to starve to death in the cells. However, the officials did allow for a prisoner's friends and relatives to supply them with food and money for their expenses. So, knowing Paul's needs, the Philippian church had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to visit him with a gift of financial support from Philippi. Epaphroditus ended up staying with Paul for several months as an illness delayed his return, and it was during this time that Paul wrote a letter to his friends, which Epaphroditus eventually carried back to that church. The Apostle Paul did not write to Philippi in response to a crisis, as he did to the church in Galatia and the church in Colossae. Instead, he wrote to express his deep appreciation and affection for the Philippian believers. He was grateful for them because, you see, these believers had helped him more than anyone else. You'll often hear that Philippians is a letter about joy, and that is certainly true. As we study the text, we're going to sense Paul's joy as he thought of his beloved friends. And actually, it was the same joy he wanted them to have as well. Of course, Paul pointed to Jesus as the source of that joy, and he encouraged them all to follow Christ's example of humility and love because he knew that as they served the Lord in that way, they would find great happiness and contentment regardless of their difficult circumstances. He urged them to center their lives on Christ alone just as he had. 
The structure of this letter is slightly different to the others that Paul wrote as well. In the centre of the letter, he quotes a beautiful poem about Christ, which describes the Lord's incarnation, in other words, how he took on human flesh, as well as his life, death and resurrection, and how Jesus was raised to glory once more. And we'll cover that when we get into chapter 2. But I want you to think of that poem about Christ as the precious jewel in the middle of the setting, around which everything else is arranged, as Paul picks up on key words or ideas from that poem as the basis for everything else he communicates in other sections of the letter. He begins in Philippians 1 verse 1 with a greeting saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In his letters, Paul usually began with his authority as an apostle. He would confirm that Christ himself had appointed him to his task of spreading the gospel. However, when he writes to his friends in Philippi, his tone is far more gentle and more loving because he knows that they trust him and that they'd already accepted the call that God had placed on his life. He was writing to his friends who supported him. Paul does make one claim about his position, though, and that is that he is a servant of Christ. The Greek word he uses in the text is doulos, which carried with it a deeper meaning than that of mere servant. Doulos meant that Paul considered himself a bondservant of Christ. Now, in those days, slaves were sometimes set free, but the freed man could choose to continue to serve their master out of love as a bondservant. And that's how Paul saw himself. He was free, and yet by his own will, not by obligation, he chose to continue to serve Christ, whom he loved as his Lord. He writes to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. That word for holy is an interesting one because in the Greek, it creates a picture of something that had once been on the trash heap of life, but that had been picked up and cleansed for new and noble use. And that's what's happened to each one of us who believe because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What makes us holy is not so much our actions or our works, it is our position in Christ. Paul goes on to greet them with the grace and peace of God that can only come through Jesus Christ. But he's also doing something else in that greeting. He's really focusing on their unity. You see, in the early church, when believers would greet each other, those from a Jewish background usually used the traditional greeting of shalom, or peace, whereas those from a Gentile background would greet each other with the word grace. In using both words here, as he does in other letters, Paul is really purposefully acknowledging all of those in the church, irrespective of their different backgrounds, because they all belong. He immediately goes on to give thanks for them and to tell them of how he prays for them. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that 
He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that every time Paul thought of these people, he felt only thankfulness, never regret. What a blessing it is to have that kind of friendship with others. He experienced deep joy because he knew that they were fully invested in the gospel as he was. They were sold out to Jesus and were determined to see the message of Christ's love spread across the world. And Paul's heart overflowed with confidence that God was doing a good work in and through them that would continue until the day that they would all finally stand in Christ's presence. Philippians is full of wonderful statements and promises, and this is certainly one of them, that the work that God has begun in each one of us, he will bring to completion. Paul wanted them to know how much their love for God and their friendship meant to him in his current circumstances in prison. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wanted them to know that he carried them in his heart. In other words, that he was invisibly connected to them, feeling their joy and their grief. He cared about them. And no matter where he was, whether he was in shackles or defending the gospel on a stage, he took comfort in the fact that they were partners with him in Christ's kingdom work. He was thankful that they understood the truth of God's grace, God's kindness given to us in Christ Jesus. The more he thought about them, the more he longed to be with them again. Paul loved the Philippians with the love of Christ himself, and he desperately wanted to see them again. His chains prevented that, but chains could not stop his prayers. As I read Paul's prayer for the Philippians, I'm really deeply challenged because I think about how we choose to pray for those we love. So often we pray an endless list of what we think our loved ones need in a material sense. And we may be right about that. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with praying for the physical needs of others. The question we have to ask ourselves, though, is do we ever pray for those we love like this? Do we pray that their love would overflow more and more and that their knowledge of God and their insight into his purposes would increase? Do we pray that they would be able to discern what is best in every decision and thought? Do we ask that they uh, would be kept pure and blameless for the day of Christ's return and that they bear much fruit for God's kingdom with a righteousness that comes through Christ alone? Do we ask that everything they accomplish would all be done to the praise and the glory of God? Personally, I think we spend far too much time praying for things that will not last to eternity. Perhaps it's time we became a little bit more like Paul. But then who really wants to become like Paul? His life was far from easy. 
But then I guess it depends on the way you look at it. I can imagine him shifting the chains on his wrist as he writes, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. There are times in life when we all struggle to understand why God has allowed something to happen. It is my experience, though, that why is a question that is not always answered, and it can paralyze us in our walk with God if we get stuck on it. By contrast, Paul had come to realize that as God's beloved servant, he was to do his master's bidding. He saw his difficult circumstances as a special trust from God and used them to advance the gospel right where he was. The struggles we face and the hardships that we endure might be different than Paul's, but our trials can be used in just the same way as we respond to the challenges of life confident of God's love and his faithfulness. Paul never saw his time in prison as a disruption of God's plan for his life, but rather he looked at it as the fulfillment of God's plan for his life. And he put every moment that he was there to good use. The fact that a Roman soldier was chained to him 24 hours a day gave Paul a captive audience because he was able to talk to them about Jesus and they were the ones who were unable to escape. His chains served to advance the gospel and the whole palace guard came to know about Jesus and Paul's commitment to him. Now, can you imagine how important this news was to those who lived in Philippi, where so many had once served in Rome's military? The palace guard of whom Paul spoke was known as the Praetorian Guard. This elite section of Rome's army protected the emperor and guarded his captives as they awaited trial. These were the men who were rotated in to be chained to Paul each day, and as a result, many of them came to faith in Christ. Not only was Paul's imprisonment having an effect on those in Caesar's household, but God was inspiring others to share the gospel without fear as well because of how they saw the Lord at work in Paul's circumstances. I'm sure those in Philippi were able to use the news about the Praetorian God to begin conversations with the many retired soldiers in their city. Paul's chains and what was being accomplished through them inspired other Christians to become more confident and to share about God's love without fear. God may have been spreading the gospel through unusual means, but nevertheless, it was still going forth and accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. It was changing lives. Paul went on to explain in verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. 
But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. The gospel was going forth as a result of Paul's imprisonment in two ways. Those who loved and supported his ministry began to increase their own work in order to make up for Paul's absence. They knew that he had given up his freedom for the defense of the gospel, and so they were willing to let God use them to continue to expand Christ's kingdom in Paul's absence. However, there were others who also began to preach more, but not out of love, but rather out of selfish ambition, hoping to grow their own following now that Paul had apparently been sidelined. In fact, I think that some of them may have even used Paul's imprisonment, saying that it was a sign that God was no longer with Paul, in the hopes that it might attract more people to follow them instead. They saw his plight as a wonderful opportunity to advance their own careers. But Paul didn't really care about that. What mattered to him was that the gospel of Christ was being preached and that people were coming to faith in Jesus as a result. His circumstances seemed terrible, but Paul knew that God's plan for him would prevail, and so he encouraged his friends by telling them, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that... Through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain." If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul was really glad that they were praying for him, and he truly believed that God was at work and that he would eventually be delivered from prison. But he doesn't say how that deliverance will occur, for it could be through his release, but it also could be through his death. Either way, he would eventually be free from that worldly jail. He eagerly anticipated that he would not be ashamed no matter what the outcome and that God would give him the courage to uphold the name of Christ irrespective of what he had to go through. He wanted them to be sure that they understood that for him to live would mean that he would continue to live for Christ as he had, but that to die would actually be gain. And you know, that's a real challenge for us as believers. So often we see death as a thing to be avoided at all costs. And yet, when a believer dies, many may think of it as a defeat, when in reality, God sees our physical death as believers as a great reward, for then we will be with him where he is. We will see him face to face, and there will be no more tears and heartbreak, only love. 
And as Paul thinks about the two possibilities of being released from prison to continue his earthly ministry, or of being released from prison into the Lord's presence, he wants them to know it is no easy choice for him. To be with Christ in heaven was better by far. However, he knew that they still needed him and that it was more necessary for them that he remain alive. And so he was convinced that God would not call him home at that time, but rather that he would allow Paul to continue to minister to them not only to bring them joy, but so they would progress in the faith as they saw God answer their prayers for Paul. Despite his confidence, Paul did warn them, though, in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. As he sat chained in prison, Paul had faced the fact that things could go either way for him, and he was at peace with that. However, he wanted to be sure that irrespective of the final outcome, his friends would conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that is the same call on our lives too. His greatest desire was that they would always continue to live out what they said they believed. And whether he lived or died, whether he was able to return to Philippi or not, no matter what the future held, that they would continue to stand firm, united by the Holy Spirit as they reached the world for Christ. Without being frightened in any way about the opposition that they'd face, Paul encouraged them not to retreat in the face of adversity, but to stand together without being afraid. He knew from his own experience that their calm in the face of trial would powerfully minister to all those who were against them, because it would cause their persecutors to question their own understanding of life and also question their understanding of this God the Christians called their father. Paul had suffered much for Christ after becoming a believer and actually being in prison was not out of the ordinary for him. And in verse 30, he reminds them of how they had witnessed his past struggle that was so similar to the one he now faced. Many of those in Philippi had been present when he and Silas had been falsely accused and beaten with rods in their city. Act 16 details what took place and that after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. But the believers of Philippi also knew how the two disciples had persevered, worshipping God in their dark cell at the very centre of the prison and singing praises to him despite their extreme pain. At about midnight on the night of their arrest, there was an earthquake that was so violent the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up and, realizing the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And in those days, if a guard lost a prisoner, they lost their own life as well. This poor man was about to kill himself when Paul called out from the darkness that he was not to harm himself because they were all still there. God was at work, you see, and they hadn't run off when their chains were loosened. Their actions as believers in the face of adversity showed that they were no ordinary men. The jailer, calling for lights, we're told, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, their actions caused him to question his own understanding of life and to question his understanding of this God that they called Father. Paul and Silas were then able to speak to him about Christ, and upon believing, we're told in Acts 16, 33-34, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The next day, the authorities miraculously ordered that Paul and Silas were to be released anyway. We have to remember that our attitude and our actions in the midst of difficult circumstances can be used by God as a powerful testimony to those who do not yet believe. Paul was able to endure because he didn't focus on his circumstances. Rather, he focused on Christ alone. He had been able to persevere because he looked to him who is invisible. And it's no different for you and me, for we too will endure if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ alone, knowing that what happens to us can also be used by God to advance the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your promises in your word. Thank you that we can know that as you have begun a good work in us, you'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that the things that come our way can actually serve to advance the gospel of Christ. Lord, I praise you and thank you that even in real trial and in bitter circumstances, we can look to Christ and experience the joy that only he can give. Lord, thank you that even the Philippian jailer, it says he was filled with joy because he came to believe in God. Lord, help us to put our trust in you and let our lives be used as witnesses to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.